morning, Christ Central. It's the, the last Sunday of the year, last Sunday of 2019, and I have the great honor to bring to us God's Word. I'm, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Andrew, and I am one of the pastors here. And today, our passage will be from James chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, uh, it'll also be projected overhead. Uh, but uh, it'll be James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. That will be our last passage for 2019. Let's give our full attention. This is God's word for us this morning. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Amen. This is God's word for us. Uh, Would you join me in a quick word of prayer? Father, we thank you that we can gather as your people and we want to hear from you. Lord, as many of us think about the kind of year that we've had, some of us may have had a really hard and challenging one. And so we're here. We, we, We need to hear from you. We need your grace and your mercy, your strength to help us to keep going. And Lord, this morning, would you open our eyes to see? Would you open our ears to hear? No other voice but yours. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look ahead to 2020, as we look ahead to the new year, many of us where we're thinking uh, of different things. I'm sure many of you are sitting here right now and and there's thoughts uh, and plans of what, what is next? What's going to happen? What are we going to do? In some way, shape, or form, most of us, if not all of us, we're planning for tomorrow. Maybe some of you are parents and you're thinking, this coming year, I'm, I'm going to spend more time being present. I want to be more present with my kids. Or maybe the opposite. I need more time for myself. I'm going to spend more time for myself this next year. For those of you who maybe uh, are are young adults and you're single, maybe you're thinking, this is the year that I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to take my chances and maybe meet someone special. Maybe this will be the year that that I finally meet the one. Maybe some of you are students, uh, college, high school, and you're thinking, this This is going to be the year. 2020 is going to be the year that I finally make my parents really proud and I get that 4.0. I get those good grades. This will be the year. See, all of us, we're we're thinking of things that we want to accomplish, things that we want to do. We're planning for tomorrow. And as we head into the new year, I think James has some thoughts for us. There are three thoughts in particular I want to highlight. And so for today, these three points follow the flow of our passage. And they're, number one, boasting about the future is foolishness. 
Boasting about the future is foolishness. Second, trusting God with the future is wisdom. Trusting God with the future is truly wisdom. And lastly, obeying in the present is our duty. So we're going to jump right in to our first point. Boasting about the future is foolishness. You see, in our passage, <coughs> our passage marks the beginning of, of a new section. It opens up in verse 13 with, a, uh, with James saying, come now. It's kind of this jarring intro, come now, that sets apart this section. And we see it again a little bit later in chapter 5, verse 1, where he says, come now, and he addresses the rich. But in this section, it clearly notes that this is a, a new section, a new section that he's talking about. And he says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Here it's likely he's quoting some people, maybe some people in the congregation that he, he's heard say something like this. Likely they were businessmen, merchants, making their future plans. This is what we're going to do. And if you look at that verse, you see just, just how comprehensive these plans are. These are some pretty comprehensive plans. What else is there besides time and place, goals, and even the result of what's going to happen? Today or tomorrow, we'll go here. This is where we're going to be. We're going to spend this long, the duration of our time, and then this is what's going to happen, and this is going to be the result. And they make these plans. And here, James, James condemns this, this kind of a, a declaration. He condemns it. But not because it's just about owning possessions or wealth. It's not about that. But his point is that money and possessions is not going to bring us security. It's not going to bring us security. And it's this thought that somehow having these things is going to help us feel more secure and in control that James is actually talking against. See, this reminds me when, uh, when I was a kid, I, I loved going to the arcade. Uh, that was probably the, the most fun that I, I could possibly think of. And as you go to the arcade, you know, when you run out of money, you just look at the machines, you, you fiddle around with the, the start button, hoping maybe you might get a free play in there, right? And so you fiddle with those racing games, the steering wheel, and there are times when, when you, you, you move it, you press the start button, you move it to the left, and then it seems like the car moves a little, and you think, wait, did, I got it. I think this is the one, right? And you move it to the right, the car moves a little bit to the right, and you fiddle with it more, and it seems like you're driving, right? It seems like you're driving, and it's moving until it says, enter more quarters. And you're like, ah, oh, man, you know, it, uh, I was never driving to begin with. And it's a silly example, but I think a lot of us in our lives, we we treat it that way. It seems to match up. We seem like we're steering. It's going according to plan. We're moving to the left. We're making these turns. And it seems like things are falling in place, like we're in control, like we're behind the driver's seat. And then it takes a turn, and you realize you were never really behind the driver's seat to begin with. We are not in control. And life 
the longer you live, the more you realize for a while, there may be coincidences. It's you're hitting all the right turns. It seems like you're steering. But it's only a matter of time before we realize we're not in control. We're not in control. James goes so far in verse 16 to say, this is boasting. Right? Not explicit like, ah, look at me, I'm so great. But this is a subtle form of boasting that in 1 John 2.16, it's the same word, this arrogance, the pride of life. When John is talking about the lust of the flesh, the desires of the, the eyes, and the pride of life, worldliness. This is the description of worldliness. And here, James is saying, that's arrogance. You're boasting in your arrogance. Second observation that I want to note is that life is fragile. Life is fragile. Life is short. Midway through quoting what he's heard, James says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. A mist, vapor, steam. Right? Lately, it's been super cold. And if you go out in the early mornings or late at night and you exhale, right, that quick breath that comes out, you see it, it's there, and then it's gone. And that's exactly what James is talking about. He's saying life, life is a lot like that where it seems like it's there, and then for a second, like a vapor, like mist, it's gone. It's fragile. It's short. The days are long, but the years are short. I think a lot of us, we, in our culture in America, we we don't like to talk about this. This isn't the most fun topic. In America, it's it's about making the most of your life, uh, of chasing your dreams, achieving that you can do it. You're self-sufficient. You can speak it and make it into reality if you put your mind to it. You can accomplish anything. And in many ways here in America, our idol is, is I, right? It's, it's the self. It's about ourselves thinking that we are well in control. We are in charge of our destinies. We don't like to talk about death. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to imagine ourselves being old and frail, that it's coming for us one day. Right? If you look at ads, social media, all the people on it, they're young, they're beautiful. Right? You never see someone who's super old and they're advertising something because we don't, we don't like that. That's not what we want. And we spend so much time, even one of the biggest compliments you can give someone is, wow, you look so young today, right? Is it not? And in the face of our idols of youth and being forever young, living forever, making, making life the way that you imagine it, James speaks against that. And he says, life Life is a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. Uh, in recent years, uh, 
I'm so thankful to be on our staff. We regularly pray for you all in our, our Tuesday regular prayer meetings. And um, I'm probably one of the youngest on our staff, uh, but I love just being a part of the life of the church, just walking through life with you all. And in recent years, we've, we've been to a number of funerals, uh, your funerals, your parents' funerals, loved ones' funerals. Some of you have battled uh, severe sickness, and some of you are still battling severe sickness. And we pray for you, and we walk with you, and we cry with you. Right? Nobody thought it would be you. Right? You didn't think it would be you. And yet life happens. Life is a mist. Recently, I, I had a conversation with uh, my in-laws. I love spending time with them. They are so wise. And, uh, you know, in my naivety, right, we, we talk about how time flies, how I can't believe I'm almost getting to my 30s. And wow, time flies. And our, our bodies change. And I'm, I'm realizing I don't metabolize as fast anymore. I can't just eat whatever I want. Um, after you, you go to the gym, it takes so much longer to recover. Recovery takes forever. And I remember my mother-in-law responding. She's like, yeah, you know what, Andrew? Uh, time does fly. Uh, now things are so different too. What I have to think about is... Um, before, when I was younger, I just did whatever. My body, I just react. I was so quick. I was so fast. But now I have to intentionally slow down because my body might, I don't know if I trust it as much anymore. And she mentions, now I, I need to really be deliberate and intentional going up and down stairs. And I thought, wow, I would have never thought. And yet life, right? Life, life moves so quick. It changes. It's a mist. It's a vapor. A couple years ago, I was uh, our, our youth pastor before uh, David, our wonderful David Chin, uh, transitioned in. And just hearing some stories of our, our kid, youth kids mention, uh, yeah, we have active shooter drills. And they kind of joke around a little bit. But I was like, it's not a joke. This is pretty serious. But it also is a constant reminder when we hear about these tragedies uh, that, that life is short. That some of these students, the victims, they would have never thought that they would just by simply going to school find that they would have their lives end that day. Right? Life is fragile. Life is a mist. And this may seem morbid, may seem like a topic we don't like to acknowledge or talk about. But like the ostrich that sticks his head in the ground and pretends like if it doesn't exist, if we don't think about it, then it's not real. We all know that's foolishness, right? That's foolishness because that's not real life. And when you acknowledge and you realize that this is in fact what it means to be moral, to be human, there in fact is some wisdom to gain out of that, a lot of wisdom. The wisdom of numbering our days not taking for granted that tomorrow will be there, that the present is a gift, and that life is fragile, a mist. I remember one seminary professor, he would, uh, he would tell us as students that a pastor's job 
is getting, ready, getting people ready to meet their maker. Getting people ready to die and to die well. And I remember thinking, wow, well, that's a way to put it. Uh, but it's, it's in many ways true. Especially as we think about James' point. that What is your life? It's a mist. And here today, we, I, I want us to consider the warning of James, as well as a warning to you all and to myself, to not take tomorrow for granted, to not be so focused on the I, the self, of what I want to do, what I want to chase, the American dream, and, and wake up to a Christian nightmare of the day when our Lord says, uh, today your soul will be required of you. I hope to God that none of us faces that and that we are intentional about making the most of this short and fleeting life. Now, there's a lot of wisdom to live in light of the end, in light of eternity. So now what? Does this mean uh, life is short, we're not in control, so why bother planning at all? Why should we plan? Just don't plan? Is that the point? No. Right, that's not the point. Verse 15 is, is pretty clear that if the Lord wills, then we will do this. Then we will do that. Plans, plans are still being made. See, the problem wasn't with their planning, but the problem was with their posture. A posture of planning without God, without factoring in God. And I know a lot of us, we wouldn't imagine that we do that. And we say, oh, yeah, of course, God, God is in control. Yeah, he, he knows everything. And yet practically in our day-to-day, do we live like we believe that? Do we live like it really is true of us? Or are we more like practical atheists where we function on a day-to-day, not really needing God at all? Because if we're living as if God doesn't exist, then it's likely that you're living as if you're God. I love this quote by Alec Matir. It should be overhead for you. But it says, James is not trying to banish planning from our lives, but only that sort of self-sufficient, self-important planning that keeps God for Sunday, but looks on Monday to Saturday as mine. This is the attitude, the posture that James is condemning. It's all about the mindset, the attitude, and the posture, because a lack of mindfulness to God is arrogance. Lack of mindfulness of God is arrogance. To believe that we don't really need him to continue on, to go on. So then how ought we to plan? And, and what does a, a, a proper posture look like? And we're going to jump into our second point now. Trusting God with the future is wisdom. Trusting God with the future is wisdom. In James 4, verse 15, he says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Right? This advice, it's, it's, not just to, it's not like formulaic. You just, yeah, I'm going to do this, God willing. And you just add God willing to everything. But it, it's really the posture behind God willing. Right? That God is in full control. 
He and his will is what we submit to. And I want to make a quick distinction for us about this word will, right? If the Lord wills. In uh, theological terms, there's, there's known to be just these two wills of God that, that a lot of theologians focus on. There's the secret will, and, and this is in many ways based off Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things, the secret will belongs to God. They're hidden from us. And the revealed things are for us. The secret things are the things like, uh, you might imagine, the, the fun stuff, right? The, the fortune telling, palm reading, what's going to happen in five years, ten years, who am I going to marry, what are my kids going to be like? It, it, it's those things, right? The things that God has ordained to come to pass, but we don't know. We don't have access to that. And then you have the revealed will, right? The, the things that God is clear about. Some call it the will of precept, the precepts, the commands that God gives us where it's undeniable, right? Does God want me to murder? No, that's a clear answer from God's word that you can bank on. So the secret will and the revealed will. Now the secret will, like I said earlier, for many of us, we, we, we like it. It's fun. It's, it's interesting. There's a lot of mystery behind it. The revealed will, yeah, it's clear. It's, it's what he wants. We, we already know that. And sometimes when we make our plans, our plans having to do with the secret will, a lot of us, our, our, our posture, if you're like me, sometimes we, we don't even bother wanting to make plans because we feel like, ah, it might not happen. What, what if I'm trying to force something that is my agenda? How do I know I haven't gone too far and it's become idolatry? And so... Maybe I just won't have any plans or prayers, no desires. I'll just try to be stoic so that I'm never disappointed. That I'll just never be disappointed. Whatever happens, uh, it'll happen. And I don't think that's a helpful posture either. There's a pastor named Paul Tripp, and he lays out this example that, I, that has been so helpful for me. I hope it's helpful for you. Uh, but he talks about the posture of planning and praying before God as, as two, two kinds. There's one where you come to God with clenched fists and you say, God, I, I need that. My life, it must look like that. It's got to it's gotta look like that. That has to happen. And you come with your requests in a clenched fist saying, this has to be it. Or you can come with open hands with open palms, saying, God, I I really want this, right? We're being honest. I really want this super bad, but I trust you with it. If you give it to me, if you take it away, I'm okay with that because not my will be done, but your will be done. And I think that's helpful, a posture of open palms, of being honest that we do have real desires of what we want, We do have plans that we would like to see happen, but nonetheless, we acknowledge that God sits above all of it. Right? Paul lives this way. We see so many times where he visits people and he says, I want to see you again, God willing. God willing. Now, if you're not a Christian today, you might think, okay, great. You know, God, yeah, he sits above it, but but what about the fact that life is short, life is fragile, and, uh, and death comes for us all anyway? 
it still seems like a pretty bleak situation. When death levels it all, what hope do we have? And today, I, w- I want us to have a lot of hope as we head into this new year, as many, if not all of us, one day will stare down the valley of the shadow of death. And this is the hope. I think this, this, uh, this phrase really captures it for me. It gives a lot of confidence. Uh, but it says, you may not be sure of what your future holds, but you can be sure of who holds your future. You may not be sure of what your future holds, but you can be sure of who holds your future. Now, to the degree that this actually comforts you is going to depend on the fact of that who. How much do you trust that who? Right? Do you trust who holds your future? And a lot of us, I don't know that we do. Right? With God, if we really believe he has our best interests in store for us. See, trust is built upon a relationship. Right? A relationship based on history of what people have done. Especially done in love for us. And for us, for the Christian, and if you're not a Christian today, I do have good news for you. Because in the past, God does demonstrate that he is trustworthy. He proves that he loves us based on what he did. Based on what he did. In the past, Jesus accomplished salvation for us in our place. That those of us in our sin, where the wages of sin is death, Jesus said, I'll take that, I'll take that upon myself for you. And so in the past, he secures our future. He secures our eternity. And he faced death so that you and I could face life. So that death would actually become a portal into eternal life, into eternity. And so this is a good news that true wisdom doesn't boast about tomorrow, But true wisdom boasts in what has already happened in the past. In Jesus and his finished work. See, true wisdom boasts in Christ. And so for those of you today who trust in Jesus, who trust what he has done, you can look beyond the new year for hope. You can look beyond the grave for hope. In fact, you can look into Eternity into your new life in the new creation. Boasting about tomorrow is foolishness. But trusting God with tomorrow is true wisdom. I want to end with a point of application. Our only point of application, our third point, in the present. What do we do in the present? Obeying in the present is our duty. In James chapter 4, verse 17, it reads, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. For him it is sin. And I want to ask you today, does believing and trusting in God affect the way that you obey now? Does it affect the way you live? Right? When we talk about the revealed will, the things that we ought to be doing, 
So right posture, because a right posture ought to lead us to the right behavior. The right posture leads us to the right behavior. And I know in the confession of sin, a lot of times we focus on what people call the sins of commission, right? Sin, if you're like me, this is usually what you pray about, the things that I did that I shouldn't have done. And here, James gives us another category, the sins of omission. When you know the right thing to do and you fail to do it, that's sin. The right things to do. Did you reach out to your neighbor in need? When you had an opportunity, you could have done something and you decided not to. Something held you back and, and you turned a blind eye. Or you had an opportunity to share the greatest news of all, the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And you had an opportunity to your friend or your coworker or your family member and you didn't take that chance. Instead, you cowered back. These are sins. Sins that we need to repent of as well. You see, of course, we're saved. We're saved by faith alone. It's faith that saves us. But our faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by works. I love this quote by Martin Luther. It's overhead for us. But in his introduction to Romans, he writes, Faith cannot help doing good works constantly. It doesn't stop to ask if good works ought to be done. But before anyone asks, it already has done them and continues to do them without ceasing. I love that. It doesn't stop to ask if good works ought to be. Should it be done? No, but it already has done them. You see, a strong desire to do the will of God and to, to obey. I think that's a surest sign that your life has been gripped by Jesus. A transformed life. A life gripped by Jesus will result in works for Jesus. And so I want to make two final observations about what it means to obey now. Obeying in the present is our duty. The first is that delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You see, in this context of our passage, verse 17 kind of seems like it sticks out. It seems like it maybe doesn't connect as smoothly to what goes before it. But it starts with a so, a therefore, which implies that there's got to be a connection that James is thinking about. And I think this is a main connection, is that these sins of omission, in the context of the things that we don't do that we ought to do, that is sin. His point is obey now. Don't delay, obey now because tomorrow might not be there. Obeying tomorrow, that might not be there. And so obey in the present while you still have opportunity to. Don't wait for New Year's to make your resolutions and, and change. Don't devote your life to Jesus when you're 20 years later down the line or once you've done this and that. Because those times might not come, but the time is now. Don't delay. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Life is a mist. It's short. And there's wisdom, true wisdom, to live in light of the end. Second, don't neglect obedience in the little things. Looking for bigger things. 
Don't neglect obedience in the little things, looking for bigger things. We all have common responsibilities, duties, uh, spheres of responsibility that God has entrusted us with. And those are things that he cares about. Taking care of your kids, making breakfast in the morning for your spouse. These are ways that we serve that God cares about. And I have to confess, this past week, uh, yeah, I, I was really rebuked as I read this, this point, as I thought about this point. Uh, as you can tell, probably, it's clear that I, uh, I, caught, a, I caught something. This past holiday season, something's been going around. It's, it's pretty bad. And, um, and at home, as I was sick and I had this sermon on Sunday, I was very irritable with Michelle, my wife. And uh, yeah, I, I think there were many opportunities to love and to serve her that uh, I did quite the opposite. I, I pushed her buttons and, um, and we got in little arguments. And in many ways, I remember in my mind thinking and, and maybe even expressing as well out loud, don't you understand? I'm sick. I don't feel good. I have a sermon on Sunday. Can't you be understanding? And, um, and yeah, I assumed that in that little act of obedience to love my wife, I would rather focus on, in my mind, what was the bigger thing, which is preparing for today. And I, I repented to her. I, I apologized and I told her, I'm sorry. I know why I made it uh, such a deal to, to be so uh, unloving to you. But it's these little things that I really do believe God cares about. And that as the servant is faithful in little, the Lord entrusts much. Would you be faithful in those little ordinary things, little ordinary things in your life, and trust that in due time, God will bring more in his timing. But nonetheless, would you obey in the present to not delay See, to live faithfully is to have the proper inward attitude, right? the inward posture of trusting God with your future, along with the proper outward actions, living that way, living it out, and obeying God in the present. And a humble attitude, a humble posture will result in humble actions, in humble service. And so this morning, I, remind, I want us to be reminded Boasting about tomorrow, this is foolishness because we're not in control, because life is fragile and short. But trusting God with our future is its true wisdom because he secured our future in the past. And so we boast in Jesus. We boast in his work. And until that day comes when we're reunited with him, until we're finally back home, a day with no more tears, no more sorrow, and no more pain. We have work to do, opportunities to obey. Don't delay. Don't neglect the little things. Let's be faithful in the little and trust that in God's time, he will bring much. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can worship you on this Sunday and to be reminded 
that in the midst of the turbulence of life, in the ups and the downs, Lord, that you remain on the throne, that you are in full control of it all, and we can trust you, that we might not know what our future holds, but we know a good God who holds our future. Thank you, Lord, for that good, good reminder. And as we approach the table today, we pray that your grace would abound all the more to sustain us until the very end. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.